imagine that going alcohol-free just got easier, fun-filled with tactics, tools, and science-based facts? Well, it has, and it's here with us on Sober Chicks Life. Welcome. When I first met Terry, before she even spoke, it was a yes from me. You know those people, the ones that probably have little wings on their back because they're, they're from some other kind of wonderful land that I don't know about. Well, this beautiful woman, stroke head coach, stroke podcast host, stroke blog writer is on a mission. And that's to help people create the healthy life they deserve by exploring alcohol-free living. And she is bursting with super interesting and helpful information. So we're gonna start by digging into her personal journey with alcohol. Then we're gonna grill her brain about why we turn to jelly babies and ice cream when we're in the process of breaking up with alcohol. Welcome, sweetheart. I'm so happy you're here. Oh, I'm delighted to be here. It's so good to be here with this special energy that Zoe and Lily bring to their podcast. Uh, it's just um, so much fun to have this conversation about the intersection between nutrition, alcohol-free living, and yeah, the jelly babies. We call them jelly, is it jelly babies? Jelly call them something babies. else over here, jelly I think. Jelly bears, jelly bears, gummy bears. Gummy bears. Gummy. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I like jelly babies. <laughs> we'll go with that. I thought she was talking about jelly beans. We need to get out our Canadian English slash British English dictionary out. Okay, so <laughs> Terry, tell us, when was that moment in your life when you were like, uh-oh, alcohol is a problem? Mm. Yeah, well, I think it, hmm, you know, the, the beginning of the end, the very last time I talked myself out of stopping is a very defining moment. But prior to that, I think that uh, there was a long knowing and there was an awareness that this wasn't working for me. And that happened over a period of years. And for me, that period of getting to know what was happening looked like trying to moderate. And then of course that became all the noise in my head. Uh, but to answer more specifically, Lily, I have identified a moment. So uh, I, we have a, I live in a small town and we have a lay counseling center. And so it is run by counselors, but they also invite lay people to come and be trained and to just kind of be listeners and connect with people. And I had an opportunity to do this lay counseling training and I was fascinated. And here was my thought process. You'll laugh. I was like, I could help all my family. I could be the, you know, the armchair, you know, therapist without therapy, without having to go to school, you know? And so I thought I was going to fix everybody. And what happened was it was 12 weeks. And in the course of one of those weeks, we had a subject, we had a whole topic on addiction. And I looked at that binder they had given us and I thought, oh, here it is in black and white. I have an addiction wow. to alcohol. Yeah. That's yeah. And that was, yeah. And that was two weeks before I stopped. I mean, I wow. no longer could justify any of it. And I actually, I, I kind of chuckle and say that I scared myself straight because I told myself if I can't stop drinking, I might have to go to meetings which now I think, so what? But at the time with the limited knowledge I had and without really exploring what freedom looked like, I was scared to go, to walk into a room and maybe just be exposed 
And so I never did go to meetings on my own behalf. Uh, the universe has a sly sense of humor. So later I actually did attend AA meetings with other family members, which is pretty funny, but not on my own behalf. <laughs> it's such a weird thing, isn't it? That that word, that one word can be, su have such negative connotations and can, can pull us into a, you know, a world of being labeled, of shame, of guilt. But equally that one word can be enough to think, shit. I've got to do something here. Yeah. Crazy. And that, yeah, that was exactly it. You, you've hit the nail on the head, Zoe, because it was that word addiction. Like I could no longer pretend that I was okay with the amount I was drinking. I could no longer just justify or, I don't know. I just, you're right. It couldn't was the be word. in denial anymore. We couldn't, yeah. you know, when people say, oh, I just want that moment where I just can, can do what I want. And it's like, you'll never do that thing again. That's just when you didn't know. And now yeah. you know, it's never, ever. That's why whatever you, wherever you're at with your drinking, it's going to be, your relationship is ruined. <laughs> because yeah. you're never going to be able to drink and think that you're letting your hair down. Not going to Yeah, happen. and that, so that was seven and a half years ago for me. And, oh. you know, it's been an incredible journey. My life looks completely different. Oh, I love that. So how did you go about stopping then? Um, well, I think that when I look back on it, I actually think that I used some of the tools that I now know were really helpful, but I didn't know it at the time. So I didn't have any support group. I didn't read any books. I didn't go to talk to anyone, but I did three things that were really helpful for me. And they look a little different for everyone. One of the things that I did was I just said forever, <laughs> which for so many people, that is challenging. But for me, the, the way that I'm wired, my personality was really helpful to shut down the noise. And once I stopped the debate, I had space to just do the thing. And the second thing that I sort of intuitively did was I recognized that I needed something to take up all the time and energy. And I was open to what am I passionate about? What am I curious about? And the universe delivered this amazing opportunity on the front page of our small town paper where a woman had gone to nutrition school and opened a business. And I called her and I said, tell me about your nutrition school. And within three months of becoming alcohol-free, I enrolled in uh, my Nutritional Therapy Association and started on this wellness journey that looked very different. And it was beautiful because it gave me passion, purpose, energy, something to look forward to. That's one of the keys, you know, is moving towards something positive. And that was so incredible for me. And the third thing is my husband and I struggled and we went to marriage counseling for nine months. So in that space, I was able to process some of these emotions that as alcohol-free coaches, we get to help people explore that. But I didn't have a framework for that. I wasn't working with anyone. And so because my husband said, look, <laughs> we need to work on this. And he was right. And that made a huge difference as well. So I think it's kind of those three things fell into place for me. And they really did make a difference on this journey for me. That's amazing. So the connection with the understanding within that framework of the therapy was, was a huge part of kind of, of, well, connecting with you. Yeah. And I also think that, you know, my community 
was my fellow students in my nutrition class. Like these were people who were passionate about things. They were exploring things. They were, we were supporting one another. There was a cadence and a rhythm to our, you know, get togethers and our connection. It was virtual, but also there was some in-person weekends. That was really key. That was my community. It wasn't an alcohol-free community because, huh, naively, I thought I would go to nutrition school and everybody would not be drinking because they were so healthy. So that didn't happen. But they did have a lot of qualities that really spoke to my wellness journey. That's interesting. And at, the, at this intersection of alcohol and nutrition, what I hear from my clients, and I'm sure both of you hear from yours a lot, is... This idea that uh, I don't know if it's a myth or a fallacy that we crave sugar when we stop drinking. And my theory on it is we're actually craving dopamine. And since we quit the alcohol, sugar seems like the next easiest source. So what is your take on that intersection of alcohol and craving sugar when we stop? Yeah, well, I think you're exactly right, Lily. Um, really, what's happening is this chemical rebalancing. And one of the things that we uh, we don't really talk about or know until we dive in a little deeper is that dopamine is, we have these dopamine receptors that help us have a normal response to things like pleasure and joy and laughter and connection. But when we drink alcohol, our body is super resourceful. So it says, well, gosh, you know, you're getting this dopamine spike. I don't need to produce dopamine. I'm going to take those resources and just transfer them somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So our dopamine receptors really get turned down. It's like turning down the dial. And so we stop drinking alcohol and then we don't even have that baseline of normal levels of dopamine. We have like, ooh, a big dip. And so what happens is sugar gives us a natural dopamine hit. Um, it's the way it works in the brain and glucose goes quick, fast acting, crosses quickly in from the blood brain barrier. So you're getting this hit of, you know, pleasure and dopamine is a wanting molecule. Mm. So it says, Ooh, I want more of that. So we've taken out alcohol, we've got low levels of dopamine, and now we have something that spikes that dopamine and our brain just says, do more of that, do more of that, do more of that. And it makes sense, right? And it's not like we can, we should be beating ourselves up or I have no willpower or I'm weak or I must have, uh, must be one of those people with an addictive personality because now I have cross addiction and no, we just get to say, oh, that's my brain doing what my brain does. My body is responding. And then once we understand that, we have the ability to say like, okay, what's really happening here? Where can I support my body as it gets back to baseline, back to normal levels of dopamine and start to recognize how to reduce that artificial spike of sugar. Is the I'm spike sorry, the same? Sorry. Is the spike the same as the alcohol? Is it the same amount of dopamine it gets? Um, you know, I don't think so. I don't have the stats on that, Zoe, but I don't think sugar, so cocaine because and alcohol were the same. I mean, maybe. I, my guess is that your brain would not light up quite so so 
let me retract that because I think what we're talking about, I'm thinking of sugar, like natural sugar, like gosh, we eat food with sugar in it. But if we are talking about artificial sweetener, then you're probably exactly right because, oh yeah. Zoe mentioned she was drinking a Diet Coke. I was like, and you told a (laughs) nutritionist that? No, that I'm not drinking it anymore. I'm like, I have to wait till it finishes now. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But yes, artificial sweetener can be up to 1200 times sweeter than normal sugar, sugar that comes in the form of eating an, a sweet apple or having some berries. It doesn't make the difference, does it? No. Oh my God, that's so bad. The light <laughs> just went off in my head. Why they keep saying don't do the artificial sweeteners because it's creating, if I'm hearing you correctly, it's creating that same dopamine rush. Mm-hmm. As in fact, it's a bigger dopamine rush than just a candy bar. Well, candy bar is going to have artificial sweetener in it, most likely. I mean, if you're eating an organic chocolate bar with nothing but cacao, I mean, it's all going to have some sugar in it because raw cacao has no is not sweet. So it depends on the source. So it's really interesting, and I don't know how, you know, um, details you want to get into the mechanism, but, you know, blood sugar regulation. So people will often ask me as a nutritionist, like, well, as long as I'm not eating, you know, high fructose corn syrup, I'm good, right? And it's like, but your body has to balance your blood sugar, whether it is local organic honey or high fructose corn syrup. Now there's other, I call it like a toxic load. There's other toxins that come with that artificial sweetener, but sugar is sugar is sugar when it comes to balancing our blood sugar. And what we don't often think about is that, you know, we have to allow our body to get back to real food because Mm -hmm. when we are in this place of alcohol, so we we're drinking and that often means that we're maybe not paying as close of attention to our diet as we could or should be because the way that alcohol works is that because it crashes our blood sugar, we often have cravings. And so we'll eat, we'll either drink more alcohol or sometimes we'll eat kind of that comfort food. So we sort of get into this dynamic that is part and parcel with alcohol. So when we stop drinking alcohol, we we really want to think in terms of subtracting. So subtract the alcohol, subtract excess sugar, subtract processed foods, and then we can start adding things back. And right away, we can add in a few things. But one of the things that I always get asked is like, oh, well, what should I be taking now? Like, tell me the supplements to take to get my body back on track. And I always tell people that's not the best place to start. We need to give our body time to balance and repair before we start adding in. Is that even I don't know that exactly. Answer answer that. Can, you even that? Manipulate? can you even do that? Can you manipulate getting back on track? Of course, food is medicine. Of course, of course. Oh my goodness, yes. That's where the hope comes in. That's where this intersection between, you know, wellness happens. Because one of the things we also don't really talk about is that alcohol impacts every system in your body. There's been more information lately around the impacts of alcohol and cancer. We've started to see more 
recognition and more conversation around that. Mm -hmm. But alcohol affects every system in your body. It affects your hormones. It affects your immune system. It affects your sleep. It affects your digestion. It affects your brain health. It affects your heart health. It affects your liver. I mean, on and on and on. When we, when we drink alcohol and we put this toxin in our body, it breaks down into acetaldehyde. And acetaldehyde is the same chemical compound formulation that we find in cigarettes. And so from years and years and years, the Surgeon General in the United States and throughout the world, World Health Organization has said, the number one thing you could do for your health is stop smoking. Well, if you're putting that same chemical into your body when you're drinking, yeah. that should also be the number one thing we can do for better health. Stop drinking. And they've so they've done that now, haven't they? Because they've now said, given out that there's zero amount of alcohol that's good that's good for you. Yeah, we've we we're starting to explore the conversation and the myth. You used that term earlier, myth, Lily, um, about alcohol having any health benefits. Right. But then right. it's a slow conversation. <laughs> yes, it is. Why is it so slow? It's dry. It's crazy that it's so slow, right? We're the only mammals that, that actually ingests stuff that, that could kill us. Mm, and we're yeah. the most intelligent, supposedly. Well, that's a theory, Zoe. Sometimes that's true. That's very true. I tell you what, my guinea pigs sometimes, you know what, I think that they've got it all going. I know my dog is pretty smart. I want to ask uh, Terry. So when people, my clients are talking to me and they're saying they're having these sugar cravings and I'm telling them it's probably not sugar. And now I'm going to say it's definitely not sugar. Thanks to your input. So thank you. What can we do instead to get that dopamine hit? Because my theory has always been your body's asking for something. Let's give it the thing that it's actually asking for that mm. will feel good. That's mm. going to be helpful. Mm. And I thought you were going to yeah. as well. Maybe it needs it. It's like a dopamine, a natural need of dopamine. Yeah. Well, so I thought you were going to ask a completely different question. I don't think I've ever been asked this before. So let me think about this because. When we think about like need, we need dopamine. Mm -hmm. I want to say that our, that wanting molecule of dopamine drives some primal uh, necessity to uh, eat things that are good for us. However, when we think about too much dopamine and the way we're wired now with dopamine, mm. I don't think we need to give our body something to replace the dopamine. I think we need to think about reducing as much dopamine as we can to allow our body to assimilate to small levels of dopamine rather than look for something that's going to replace the sugar or the alcohol. Because when our body is in homeostasis, that's another word for balance we are not going to have these high spikes of dopamine. We're meant to have a low level baseline. And then every once in a while, things like laughter or uh, human connection or sex will bring us, you know, some dopamine. Um, things like berries will bring us a little bit of dopamine rush, right? But we, uh, there is this uh, concept of a dopamine fast because we get dopamine from, you know, um, pornography, we can get dopamine from gambling, we can get dopamine from over shopping, overspending, we can get dopamine from social media. And those are 
ways that our brain is lighting up with dopamine all the time. And so I think the key is to reduce those artificial sources of dopamine, allow our brain to go into almost this sort of dopamine deficit where we are balancing out once again, so that the small hits of pleasure that we get from watching a sunset bring us that natural dopamine rush that's not, you know, 1200 times more than it should be. Mm. I love that. And Zoe brings up the concept of soothing. Mm -hmm. So maybe, what do you think, Zoe? Is this a soothing Mm. that we need? We just need to find something that maybe looking for more of a serotonin. But what, people are sitting in discomfort. Are you suggesting, Terry, that they just sit through the discomfort for a while, or is there something that we can do to soothe? What do you think? What ladies? Mm, Yeah. So that, okay. So let's talk about this really important question because it comes up around alcohol and it comes up around food. And I think that question is what do I need right now? Mm. And so we often fail to ask that question. We respond. We just suddenly find ourselves grazing in the kitchen or we've got the drink in our hand. If you've ever worked with clients who say, like, I didn't even have a thought. I just suddenly there was the drink. And it's like, no, no, you actually did have, there was a process, but because you were hijacked by old patterns, you know, old thoughts, brain activity, the idea of dopamine, the craving toward dopamine, you got sort of hijacked, but there's always this thought process. And so when we think, well, what do I need right now? I think that's maybe where soothing might come in because if we are thinking, well, not hungry, but I'm just out of sorts or I'm feeling anxious, angsty, I call it I, anxious and, and, and um, antsy, you know, angsty. Um, yeah. Uh, and so what do I need right now really helps us identify like, gosh, Maybe I just need to take a few breaths. I'm feeling a little jacked up and I need to ground myself. Maybe I'm feeling bored. And so what could I do that would be sort of fun? You know, maybe I want to read a book. Maybe I want to take a walk outside. Maybe I want to call a friend. There'll be some people going, read a book. (laughs) You know what I mean? I'm like, maybe have a bath. They're like, what's your bath? Have a bloody bath. I think it also comes down to, It's so important, this awareness um, to be informed because you might, if you're not informed, you might say, okay, well, look, I'm not going to have this Diet Coke um, uh, or I'm not going to have this wine. But if you're not informed, you might say, oh, I'm going to go and have a Diet Coke or I'm going to go and have a tub of ice cream or I'm going to, you have to be informed in order to be able to be aware in order to be able to then kind of navigate your way around um, what is potentially just working back into another uh, highly um, high source of dopamine and a highly addictive substance, well, behavioral substance. So mm-hmm. that that bringing so things like this, like your podcast that you do, and and podcasts like these, I find are just so important because, like you say, we talked about the bullshit scanner. So it's literally learning with the knowledge that you've got is is what I'm going to be doing right now really what I need. Or is this mm-hmm. me just saying, okay, I'll have a, I'll have some chocolate instead. It's dark chocolate. I'll have the whole thing. You know what I mean? 
Yes. Yes. And I mean, there's just, there's a lot of layers to this idea of what do I need right now? Um, Because we, first of all, have to allow ourselves to explore, like, I don't have to stay in this heightened pleasure all the time. We're so uncomfortable with being uncomfortable that we avoid it at all costs. So Lily, to your point that sometimes when we're ready and when we get better at practicing this new behavior and new thoughts and new awareness. Yes, there comes time to just sit through that discomfort. You know, I'll ask my clients to do things like set their phone timer for three minutes and just sit in silence. And three minutes is like an eternity (laughs) because we're so used to distracting ourselves anytime we feel a moment of discomfort. So we often just go to the old patterns, the old habits, the thing we know will soothe us. And so I think there's a healthy soothing, right, Zoe, and maybe an unhealthy soothing. And that unhealthy soothing sometimes looks like using all the things to avoid feeling uncomfortable. And then the thing when they do use it, the problem is, is that when they, in the past, when they have felt uncomfortable, what they've reached for has given them with this learning molecule, given them such an abnormal high that there's the pattern, there's the connection and the brain's made it. And it takes a very short amount of time to make it and a hell of a long time to unmake it, right? Yeah, yeah. Although uh, I just watched a really fascinating um, video uh, and it was about learning to ride a bicycle. And yes, yes. He's got the bike the wrong way around or something, isn't he? Yes. So this is super interesting to think. And you're right. It does take a long time. So we think about learning to ride a bike, right? So we learn to use alcohol to soothe, for example, or we learn to eat a lot of sugar to sort of numb out. Mm -hmm. Like people talk about a food coma. I mean, (laughs) right? It's a real, it's a real phenomenon in the sense, maybe not a psychological, I mean, a physiological phenomenon, but certainly a recognized response to eating some foods that can kind of put us into that sugar crash. Mm. And so um, they, when we learn to ride a bike, you know, we may think that we work with a child learning to ride a bike and it takes a few months maybe, or several weeks to learn to ride a bike. So they actually took a bicycle and they wired it so that it was backwards so that left went right and right went left. But because your brain is so devoted to that old pattern, that neural pathway, that overcoming the ability, it took him eight months of yeah. like, I want to say he worked on it every single day or hours every he week did. for eight he months. Did. Yeah. And he finally could override the bike. And then he tried to ride a normal bike again. But what was so incredible about this uh, video is that he was able to demonstrate that we do create neural pathways, but it takes intention, it takes practice, and it often takes time. And so just like you're saying there, Zoe, that we have this ability to change, but it might take longer than we think. So we think about learning to ride a bike seemed like it hardly took any time at all, but now learning to ride a bike a new way, or maybe even like ride a unicycle would seem like it takes forever. But we can't, we do see in this video, his demonstration of the neural pathways and it's fascinating. It is amazing. And it's, and it's so hopeful. I find it so hopeful because people feel stuck and stuck is such a powerful way to frame this journey because stuck means 
like I can't move forward. I can't go right or left. And it's, it's not true. We're never stuck. And it there's was a always demonstration of a neural pathway being built, wasn't it? Because it yeah. was something he'd never done before. He'd never experienced before. Yeah. And it was just built in front of us. We'll find the link and we'll pop it in the, in the notes. Cause it's definitely worth, definitely worth watching and his son it took him like look it took him like 10 minutes didn't he his son well it, I think it took him a few weeks a because few weeks. he was younger it's still once that neural pathway is ingrained and I always talk about it literally like a pathway like when you're in this alcohol place and you're looking to break free and you've turned right and you've turned right and you've turned right and you've turned right so many times the first time you turn left it's very challenging but the more you turn left instead of right that path is going to get, you know, the weeds are going to be tramped down. The opening is going to be more visible. Your brain is now going to have a choice, right or left. I, yes. I could do either. Yes. And the more we go left, the more we go left. Pretty soon that path on the right, the weeds start to grow up. You can't quite see the path and branch falls down. And that path is not so um, open and clear anymore. And so that is just a, you know, a literal representation of, what the brain does. The brain has to have that reinforcement in order to start making that choice unconsciously. Yeah, I'm going for a walk instead of heading to the fridge. I'm going for a walk instead of heading to the fridge. Just, it's that thing, it's that time commitment again and again and again, it's just repetition. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, it's the practice. It's yeah. the practicing the new behavior. Yeah. And that's exactly what it is, yeah. 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 And it's difficult in the beginning, isn't it? Because you're not getting immediately the positive kind of feedback. You're going to get that as so, and so that's why initially people often kind of go, oh, God, I'm bored of this now. And 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 then start whatever they were doing. They, they were trying to stop. But mm -hmm. over time and not that long, there's just like a. it must be I think it's like, four, is it 14 days or something? Where you know, there's a lot of research on like how long does it take to yeah. create a new pattern or habit or unwire something, and I think it depends. You'll see seven days, you'll see 14, you'll see 33, you'll see 66. I mean, say seven for the purpose of yeah. this podcast to make everyone feel happy and to do it. <laughs> well, you know, the most important thing is to just start, yes. That you know, that there's that beautiful saying that the best time. To make a change is yesterday. The second best time is now. <laughs> yes. And I thought that BJ Fogg's work said that it isn't the amount of days you put into, but it is positive emotion that creates mm -hmm. the lasting habit. And we can, we can take control of that by when we take the left turn, in this example, celebrate that we took the left turn and savor. Look around you, notice how great it is on the left. Man, it's gorgeous over here. That's it, you know, it is, I feel so much energy and I slept great last night. And the yeah. more we savor and celebrate, I think yeah. the more we're gonna wanna take that turn because if we then the next day take the right turn and do it mindfully, we're gonna see it kind of sticks over here. I don't feel so good. Remember yesterday when I turned left? That felt great. Yeah. And that takes yes. a commitment. That takes a, a thinking of that's why this idea of, of, of the emotion-based goal that comes with this naked mind is so important because you need something to, 
to look towards, yeah? Not an action, but an emotion that you're looking towards to give you, to keep you going. Because our, remember, we're human, right? We, we've got, you know, lots of us have got the attention span of a gnat. So the minute, you know, like three days later, we're like, oh, I'm bored of that. I did three days, that's great. I can, I can do whatever it was I was doing before again. Yeah, so mm -hmm. that encouragement and that celebration, that acknowledgement, and understanding that you're building your awareness, you're building your curiosity, that everything together makes complete sense towards having um, creating sustainable change. And we, you know, one of the ways to really evaluate that and use that when it comes to making a change with your diet is you've got to record what you're eating and how you feel. Yeah. So I always recommend that people keep a food journal and it, I, it's a food mood poop. So what oh, did like you eat? <laughs> How did you feel? And did you digest your food? And you're only going to know if you digest it, if it's working for you, if that food is good for your body, if you track elimination. And so food, mood, poop is really powerful because just like you're saying is we can celebrate. Wow. I had this delicious meal. Like I can conjure up a meal that I had um, uh, in a restaurant and my husband and I were there and we ordered lunch and I had this beautiful bowl with um, uh, coho salmon and edamame and daikon radishes and kimchi and just this. And I remember thinking, wow, I have never eaten something that has made me feel so good. Like that felt amazing. So it doesn't feel like the handful of gummy bears or jelly bellies, right? That does not, that's a moment on your taste buds and that heightened, you know, sense of sugar, like, wow. Um, but it doesn't bring that satisfaction, that pleasure, that contentment that the food that really works for your body does. And so people often will record in a food journal what they ate, but we neglect to record how it made us feel. And that is the most powerful part of it. I love that. I love that because then it becomes a treat in itself. That food would have been like, oh God, because you remembered it. No, oh, so yeah. You can use that as in you can use that as a nugget to, to yeah. keep you going. And to, I love that. So and food leaves clues. <laughs> so yes. if you eat something and an hour later, you feel kind of racy and speedy and, or you feel hungry or you're having a craving for more food, or you feel really sleepy or you feel energized and balanced and good, you know, there is a big difference and it's going to look a little bit different for everyone. So we're all bio individuals. So when it comes to food, you know, what works for Zoe and Terry and Lily are going to be three different food plans. So we have to start with noticing how do I feel? How did that make me feel? And that is where we have so much control. So yes, we were talking about, is there a way to do this process with nutrition that amplifies this journey of alcohol freedom? Absolutely. And then we start repairing our gut by eating foods that are healthy for our gut and removing the toxin of alcohol. We start by getting more serotonin by having a healthy gut. So our brain is happier. So we naturally feel better. We start by having more hydration so that our brain is firing on all cylinders and we have enough hydration to stimulate the body to do the processes that it needs to do. And we start to flush out some of those toxins. We are going to feel better. So there is this beautiful 
you know, synergy between paying attention to what we're eating and how we feel and getting over the impact of alcohol that much sooner. That's fabulous. So what I'm hearing, go ahead, Zoe. No, it's just fascinating. I'm like this, I'm just looking looking at Terry like, oh my gosh. (laughs) So what I'm hearing is that the big takeaways from this conversation with you are that we're turning to, when we go to stop alcohol, we're turning to foods like sugar because we're looking for that dopamine hit. And what you're suggesting is solve the dopamine problem. <laughs> just, just solve it. Don't necessarily, you know, you, it's yeah. not because there's so much sugar and alcohol and your body's craving it because of that. It's just because of the dopamine response. And the best way to get through all this is to pay attention to how we feel after we eat. And you're suggesting journaling on that. Am I hearing those takeaways? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, solve the dopamine problem sounds like, yeah, right. Um, you know, there's a little bit more to it. But what I will say is that we have more control over this than we think. So imagine this scenario. I'll, I'll offer this up sometimes just as a um, just as a wild um, way to think about it. So imagine you're you know, you've got uh, some a bag of M&Ms in the refrigerator and Ooh. your brain just keeps saying, go eat the M&Ms. Oh, M&Ms sound really good right now. Well, I could have a few M&Ms, you know, it's just a few. And I want to suggest that you go into the kitchen and you eat a pickle. Oh, yeah. So why would you eat a pickle? Well, here's the thing is that we have now given our brain this idea that, oh, I'm going to have this reward, this chocolate, and we're anticipating and all this dopamine is already starting to come into our system as we anticipate those chemicals are starting to work. We're starting to salivate. We're starting to envision this. And then we eat a pickle and our brain goes, wow. Oh, brilliant. That's not what I was expecting. And we just hijack that you know, that response like, oh yeah, I'm going to get a sweet treat. And so imagine just kind of throwing some curveballs to your brain. And I like to think about it like bossing our brain around. Yes. Like our brain, we walk around as humans, like we should just be a giant head because we act like the only thing that matters is what's what our thoughts and thinking is. And the reality is that our body and our emotions and our spirituality and our presence all deserve a seat at the table. And so I like to think of it as bossing our brain around. And my nephew, who's also a um, sober guy and a sober TikTok guy, and he's got his own thing going on, which is really fun. He says it like this. He says, your brain is an employee. (laughs) And I love that picture because when my brain is an employee, I say, okay, brain, get back online. Like, stop. You're going rogue. Get back. This is a team sport, you know, and we really get to remind our brain, like, just because you're telling me I need sugar, my taste buds are open to any food that I eat. And when we eat that pickle, we remind our brain that I don't have to follow through on every single thing you command me to do. It's not a command. It's just a thought. So I'll use one more example that I think is kind of fun. I'll say, uh, if you have children, you know, or um, you've been around other kids, you might've said at some point, I'm going to kill that kid. And I want to say, did you kill the kid? 
No, chances are the kid is still alive, right? And so we think that because we have a thought, oh, I'm going to kill that kid. I can't believe they did that, that we just have to act on it. We act as if I have to eat the M&Ms. Nope. And you don't have to kill the kid. So the kid's still alive. The M&Ms are still the in, the fridge. Is in the fridge. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, just, you know, this sounds like I'm making light of it, but I'm doing it intentionally yeah. because it doesn't have to be such a heavy lift. Like we have more autonomy around this than we imagine. You know, again, going back to that word stuck, like, oh, it's so hard or it's so much work or I can't possibly, or it's not working. Let's just tell our brain, whoa, 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 whoa. Eat the pickle, just eat the pickle. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I love it. So Terry, what, what kind of sugars, can you give us a couple of examples? I need to know now. What kind of sugars are, can, are good for us? Well, you know, the thing is that we all are, so when we think about, you know, guidelines of how much sugar we should be eating or is healthy for us, the World Health Organization says 36 grams of sugar for men, 25 grams of sugar for women, and this is all sugar, natural sugar, artificial sugar, fancy, you know, organic honey, all of it. So, you know, think about like women will often think, or anyone will often think, oh, I'm going to have a healthy breakfast. I'm going to have granola and that blueberry yogurt. Well, the blueberry yogurt might have 20 grams of sugar in it. And you have only got 25 for the whole day. And, and your granola is going to have nice. a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you've got to read labels and you've got to pay attention to how much sugar is just added to yeah. our diet, our modern diet. You know, it's really incredible the things they add sugar to. So read labels, pay attention, you know, avoid the ketchup, mustards, you know, salad dressings, all those things are going to have the, that added sugar. You know, you might think, oh, I'm going to have almond butter. It's going to be really healthy. Well, if it has got added sugar, yeah. pay attention. I mean, they make like chocolate almond butter for heaven's sakes. That's so, so you know, um, start <laughs> with this idea that I'm going to, um, first of all, notice sugar. And then again, your body is going to have to process any sugar that you eat. So if we're eating too much, even if it's not natural sugar, we're going to spike our blood sugar. And then on the yeah. end of that, you know, at the top of that, where we spiked our blood sugar, it's going to come crashing down. Yeah. And the thing to pay attention to when we're letting go of alcohol is that anytime our blood sugar bottoms out, we are more susceptible to cravings, be it food or alcohol. Yeah. So keeping our blood sugar balanced is really powerful. And so a little bit of sugar, you know, in terms of natural sugar is going to be fine. But if you can avoid, I actually take people on a, um, it's a 21 day uh, elimination diet and we remove all processed sugar. I want to do only, that. The only sugar we have are berries and um, strawberries. You know, you can have coconut and then I'm trying to think of what else. It's been a little while, but we don't do any added sugar. So there's no, even if it's natural sugar, there's no honey, honey. there's no maple syrup. No, there's nothing. And what it does is it not only lowers that, you know, dopamine response that we've had that heightened dopamine and start to get our natural dopamine receptors back on track. It also changes our palate because our palate has been, you know, um, 
hijacked by everything is super sweet, super salty, super sour. Like now this was never a thing before, but now you can go into a place and you'll see like 27 different hot sauces. Mm. What do you think is happening there? People love hot sauces. Why do you they think want more that than is? one? They want more than one. They have had their palate hijacked where the normal, you know, whole food, unprocessed food is not that hot. But we have been, you know, introduced to more spice. And then we think, oh, the spice is good. That spice is what I need. And then the hotter, the better. And so, you know, it's like eat a, eat a tart green apple and ask yourself, how sweet is this apple? And then eliminate sugar for a while and eat the apple. And you'll be like, oh my gosh, it's so sweet. So that's just a simple example of how we get hijacked by that. So when it comes to this conversation around sugar, we have to think about, you know, it's, there is a toxin with these artificial sweeteners because our body doesn't know how to process them. They're not food, they're chemicals. So that is always the danger zone, but we are going to have to balance sugar no matter the type of sugar. So pay attention to eating, uh, and particularly as we're letting go of alcohol, it's powerful to eat you know, a little more often to keep our blood sugar balanced so we don't fall into that craving. And we also want to make sure we're prioritizing healthy fat and protein to keep things balanced. So think of a campfire. Mm-hmm. Um, you start the campfire with kindling. That's glucose. That's that quick source of energy that your brain likes. Mm-hmm. And then we have to add the protein and fat as the big slow burning logs. And that's what keeps us sated and satisfied throughout the day. That's what gives us more time to go between meals. If you only add kindling, if you just eat lettuce all day, you're going like, oh, that's so healthy, but there's no protein and fat. You will be hungry all day long. I'm hungry all day long. <laughs> All right. Protein and fat are your friends. Right. I'm aware that I'm, we're taking up all your time. We're going to finish with just with two questions. Yes. What's been your favorite book on this journey? Oh, you mean my alcohol-free journey? Yeah. Uh, so that's an interesting question. I just started a book club for, um, you know, women to get together and read all the things. I think for me, one of my favorites has been Untamed. Um, and that's by Glennon Doyle. And it's not a traditional sort of quit lit book, but yeah. it is a powerful place to give ourselves permission yeah. and to bring awareness to maybe where we have been taking a step back when we should take a step forward. Yeah, I love that. And then last question, if you could say one thing to someone, give us one piece of advice who's wanting to, to change their relationship with alcohol. We were going to ask change their relationship with sugar as well, but I'm just going to stay alcohol related. What advice would you give them? Well, I think they're so intertwined that I think this will answer both. I mean, Perfect. one of my values is curiosity. So when we lead with curiosity, what we do is we remove judgment and we just say, I wonder what it would be like to eat less sugar. I wonder what it would be like to drink less alcohol. I wonder how delicious a, you know, seltzer and muddled mint would be. Would it be more delicious than a glass of wine? Like we just suspended all the judgment, like wine is bad or food is bad. And instead we just invited that beautiful place of curiosity. So start there. Oh, I love that. 
Okay. And then where can people find you if they want to do this sugar detox or if they want to join your podcast, where can they find you? Yes. So I am the sober nutritionist.com and on Instagram, it's terry.thesobernutritionist. I also have a podcast called the sober edge, all about inspiration for living alcohol free. And my brand new program or um, offering in the world is my sober girlfriends book club. I see. And you that. can find that on Instagram as well. Oh, that's so exciting. So we can't, I just can't thank you enough. Come we, Lily. Oh, thank you. I learned a lot. Me too. <laughs> well, thank you both for inviting me. It's always a pleasure to talk about this. And I think it's a powerful conversation. So uh, it was my pleasure. Thank you, sweetheart. Thank you, Terry. Bye. Do you know someone who needs to hear this? Share this episode with them.